This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 11, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only. I'm in New York. Producing today is the illustrious Dan Stanzik, who's pinch hitting this week for the Reverend Taylor Schwenk. He wants us to call him Rev, Dan, after he gets back, after officiating a wedding over the weekend. What do you think? I'm all in on a good nickname. I'm not so sure about a nickname that you give to yourself. And I do have to say, Buster, it's October 11th today, and your producer is off. Does he know the playoffs have started? I know he's an Oriole fan, but what are we doing here? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and on top of that, like he wants us to call him the Rev. And most of the summer, we've been t- placing bets on how many drinks he can consume over three days. Take right? the I over. I think the over under on one weekend was 42 and a half. Oh, and that's who we're going to call the Rev? <laughs> I like it. I like Taylor. We'll call him the Rev. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah, it's easy for sure. All right. Yeah. The Astros went into Sunday night's game with a chance of becoming the first team to advance. They held a two games to zero lead over the White Sox in a best of five division series. And they jumped out to an early lead. Here was Kyle Tucker in the top of the third. Kopech rears and fires, and Tucker hits one deep to left. Jimenez at the track. Jimenez at the wall. It is gone! Just to the right of the Chicago bullpen. Kyle Tucker with his second straight two-run extra base hit. He doubled in a pair in the second. He homers in two in the third. And it is to 5-1 Houston. But you know what? the White Sox would start to come back. Bottom of the third, he has Monty Grandal at the plate. And Grandal sends a fly ball out to left. Brantley at the track. Brantley at the wall. He jumps. It's gone! Yes, Monty Grandal into the White Sox bullpen. The lights flicker. The fireworks blast. Grandal raises his arms around third, and the Sox are right back in the game. The White Sox would take the lead in the bottom of the third. Here's a 3-1. Swing a fly ball. Well hit center field. Myers back. Myers launches. Gone! Off the batter's eye! Of all the White Sox players in this lineup to hit the batter's eye on the fly, Leori Garcia would unquestionably be the last pick. And the Astros would come back. Top of the fourth inning. Alex Bregman at the plate. That's lined up the middle and through. Base hit. Altuve weaved around third by Omar Lopez. And the throw will be cut off from Robert. Bregman ties the game. An RBI single to center. Brantley to second. It's Houston six and Chicago six here in the fourth. And there was a crazy play that I'm going to ask Tim Kirchin about coming up here. He has Monty Grandal at the plate. And he hits a chopper to first base. Give a listen to this. His pitch. Grounded to first. Gurriel coming to the plate. His throw is wide. A run will score in Robert. Abreu goes first to third. Now Maldonado is pointing to first base. He was out of the baseline. I don't think Maldonado could see the throw because Grandal was out of the baseline. Because Maldonado whiffed the throw. I don't even, I don't know if it tipped off his shoulder or, or what, but Grandal, I believe, was was out of the runner's lane. Now the White Sox put the game out of reach in the eighth inning. 3-2. Line over third, a hit, headed for the left field corner. Vaughn is waved home, Garcia into second as Brantley retrieves the ball. Ring up a double and a fourth RBI tonight for Leury Garcia. 11-6, the Chicago lead in the eighth inning of game three. 
So Chicago with a 12 to six win, they pulled to within two games to one in this best of five series. After the game, White Sox manager Tony Larusa on the controversial play in the game. I mean, he just, the way he left the plate and you run direct, you have every right to do it. And the umpire called it correctly. When the guy throws the ball back this way, you know, you make your own, just like if you do it at third base. It's the same rule. But no, he's, I don't think, I think he's probably upset. He hit the ground ball and I don't think he's trying to get, he's first of all thinking about you know, that he, he didn't hit the ball in the outfield. And there's no way he could hit it on purpose, but they called the, the rule correctly. Here's Astros manager Dusty Baker on that controversial play. The umpire said once the ball's in play, you know, like he, unless he does something intentional to, uh, you know, to interfere with the ball, but clearly he was running inside. I mean, that's interference, you know, in itself. You know, that was a big play because we didn't get an out. We didn't get a, uh, you know, they scored a run. And, uh, you know, that was a big play in the inning. At Fenway Park last night, Red Sox and Rays, the two teams tied a one game apiece in the best of five series. It was three to two Red Sox, bottom of the fifth inning. Kike Hernandez has been red hot at the plate. And the 2 1 on the way. And a fastball drilled left field. Gone! Right up out of the ballpark. It disappears over the monster seats into the night. And Kike Hernandez is the hottest hitter going right now. That call on ESPN Radio. In the top of the eighth inning, the Rays move closer. 3-1, a swing and a fly ball. Hit well to left field. It's gone! Wander Franco has done it again. Another two-hit game. This time he hits it out for his first postseason home run. And the Rays are back within one. That inning continued, Tampa Bay tying the score. And the 0-1, and a slider line to left center field. Diving attempt by Hernandez, but it's by him to the fence. In to score is Margot. A Rosarena fell, tripped between first and second, but gets up and still is able to get into second base. And it'll be an RBI double for Randy Rosarena to tie the game at four. So the two teams went into extra innings, the ninth, the 10th, the 11th, and the 12th. The Rays had a runner at first base, Yandy Diaz, in the top of the 13th inning. Kevin Kiermeyer came to the plate. The set by Pavetta. There goes Diaz, 3-2. A swing and a ball, well hit. Right center field, long run for Renfro, and it skips up and over the fence. It skipped up and into the bullpen. And that is going to deny the Rays the go-ahead run. Dan Schulman with that call on ESPN Radio. Yeah, so after the umpires made their ruling, Tampa Bay with runners at second and third base, and Nick Pavetta, who was outstanding, finished off the Rays in the top of the 13th. And the one-two pitch, swing and a miss. Got him with a fastball up, and Pavetta does it again. Two runners stranded in scoring position. And it is on to the bottom of the 13th in a 4-4 tie. And he just had a feeling after that call went against the Rays that Boston might end the game. Christian Vasquez at the plate in the bottom of the 13th. A swing and a fly ball to deep left field. Game over! Christian Vasquez launches one up above the green monster and walks it off for the Red Sox here in the 13th. 
after the game, Kevin Kiermeyer talked about that call. Man, I'm still, I'm just in awe right now. Um, you know, that's, that's the ruling. The umpires explained it to me, so I can't go against that. The rules are what they are. But, uh, man, that's just, that's a heartbreaker. I, I, I just can't, I can't believe that happened or we don't get the chance to score right there. Here's Ray's manager, Kevin Cash. The umpires that met, they got together, said you're more than welcome to challenge it. At that point, challenge it. I saw the replay. Obviously, there was nothing intentional by it. Uh, that's just the rule. It's the way it goes. It was unfor- very unfortunate for us. I think it was fairly obvious that Yandy was going to come around to score, uh, but it th- didn't go our way. Red Sox manager Alex Cora talked about Vasquez's walk-off home run. He worked so hard in his craft, you know, and uh, he cares so much about this organization. That, that for him to be in that spot and put a good swing and hit the ball at a ballpark, I know it means a lot to him. It means a lot to us. It was a big swing, you know, but you know, we're up to one. We still got work to do. Nick Pavetta threw 140 pitches in about 72 hours. Amazing work by him. Christian Vasquez talked about what it was like working with Pavetta. Yeah, it was electric today, tonight. Uh, I think he deserved this win and, and you know, it's... It was awesome to work with him tonight and, and all the pitches, you know, the curbo slider, fastball up, you know, all the pitches was working and very sharp tonight. All right, Dan, what do you got? All right, Buster, we got a full slate today. Brewers, Braves, NLDS series tied one game apiece. Shifts to Atlanta. First pitch coming up a few minutes after 1 p.m. The White Sox host the Astros. Game four, ALDS, 3.30 after fending off elimination last night. Houston leads that one two games to one. Game four in Boston between the Rays and Red Sox at 7 Eastern with the Red Sox leading the ALDS two games to one. And finally, game three of the NLDS between the Giants and Dodgers starts at 9.30. That series is tied 1-1. And, of course, you can listen to all those games. Every pitch of the Major League Baseball playoffs is available to you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkchen. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkchen covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, I was thinking of you last night when we had that crazy play in the Red Sox and Rays game. Who in the world sits in some in some corner of a you know clubhouse or maybe in a dugout someplace and thinks of these obscure rules then we got Sam Holbrook talking about 5.06 B4H. Who does this? 
Uh, nobody does this, Buster, but this is the ultimate beauty of the game. I say it all the time. Every time you go to a ballpark, you might see something that you've never seen before, and that would qualify on that play. I've been covering baseball for 42 years. I've never seen that play happen quite like the way that it did. I've seen the ball bounce off a wall and hit a player or bounce off the wall and hit the ground, but to hit the ground and then with some bizarre bounce, hit the player and then bounce over the fence. I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. In fact, I know I've never seen it quite like that. And ultimately the umpires got the call correct. That's exactly how it's written in the rule book. Now you can say, well, we need to rewrite this rule, but the umpires got it right last night, according to the rule book. And that's what Sam Holbrook so accurately described. Yeah. I knew the umpires were locked in on it uh, in one moment during the uh, broadcast last night when they showed Greg Gibson, the longtime umpire talking with Kevin Kiermeyer and explaining it to him like a math teacher would explain to a student, no, this is what's going to happen here. And you could see Kiermeyer's reaction. He wasn't upset with the umpire. He was just putting his head back like, oh, my God, that stinks. It's unfair. You made reference to Sam Holbrook. Here was him after the game talking about this rule. First of all, thank you all. I really appreciate you letting us come in here and explain the rule. A lot of times that doesn't happen and things get messed up. But uh, I really appreciate it. And if you don't mind, what I'd like to do, this is our umpire manual. And what I'd like to do is just quote from the manual. It's item number 20 in the manual, which is balls deflected out of play, which is in reference to official baseball rule uh, 5.06B4H. And that says, if a fair ball not in flight is, defect is deflected by a fielder, and then goes out of play, the award is two bases from the time of the pitch. So in this play right here, the ball was no longer in flight because it hit the front part of the wall. So you cannot catch the ball off the wall. Uh, the, the wall is basically an extension of, of the playing field, the front part of the wall is. So once that ball hit the wall, it was no longer in flight. Now the ball bounces off the wall and is deflected uh, out of play off of a fielder that's just a ground rule double there's 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 no uh, you know he would have done this would have done that it's just flat out in the rule book it's a ground rule double and that's what everybody on the crew said that they saw that it was the ball off the wall deflected out of play two bases right there so when I went over to talk to uh, to Kevin um, he said, well, is there anything that I can do? And I said, well, if you want us to take a look at it, we'd be glad to take a look at it. You know, obviously it's a, it's a uh, high priority game, high priority situation, and we want to make sure that we get everything right. So that's what we went to. We went to replay just to make sure that one, nothing was done intentional by the fielder. Uh, if that were the case, if, if that's a different aspect of that rule, if it was intentionally kicked out, then it would have been uh, from the time that, that the deflection, the intentional deflection happened, uh, two bases from, from that time. But uh, uh, so we went and looked at it and, and they confirmed it, that it was just a ball off the wall, hit the fielder and deflected out of play. Very simple uh, from an umpire standpoint, uh, very simple uh, textbook in the rule. And obviously, Tim, uh, look, the rule is the rule <laughs> in, in the bigger picture of life. Boy, was that unfair for the Rays. 
Right. That was tremendously unfair. But the key here, Buster, is obviously that Hunter Renfro did not intentionally try to knock that ball over the wall. And intent is very important here. Yep. The fact that it was accidental still makes it just like the, the same play. If that ball, let's say Yandy Diaz had been running on that play with two outs, okay? And no one had touched that ball and it bounced over. That would have been a terrible break for the Rays anyway, because by rule, you would have had to stop him at third base. And let's be clear here, Buster. A lot of these rules are put in place in order so we don't have to make the umpire's discretion the most important part of this play. Because you don't want ever, you never want in a huge situation for an umpire to say, oh, he would have scored on that play. That's very, very tricky. So the rule is built so the umpires can say, look, here's the rule. It's right here in the rule book. Two bases, even if it deflects off a fielder and goes over the fence as long as it wasn't intentional. So some of these rules are designed to make sure there is no subjectivity in the play, even though that was seemingly totally unfair to the Rays. And there was a lot of response on social media last night. I'm sure you saw it too, where folks were chiming in saying, well, that rule needs to be rewritten. Uh, that needs to be changed. I agree with you. Be careful what you wish for uh, in, in invoking the umpires or, uh, injecting them into a situation like that. And the other thing too is like, this never happens. <laughs> Great. So you're going to change your rule. We may never ever see that play again for the rest of our lives. This morning uh, on uh, on the website of WEI, I saw a headline and said that this is the Red Sox version of the tuck rule. Remember that famous call that uh, went for the Patriots and it became a deal. This play doesn't happen as much as the question of whether or not the quarterback loses the football while making a throw. It, this is not something that we're going to see every day. Uh, but boy, I don't know if you felt the same way I did. After that call went against the Rays, they don't score in the top of 13th. It felt inevitable that they were going to lose in the bottom of the 13th. Right. And that's that's how baseball works. The, the most bizarre play you'll see in the top of the 13th turns into a walk off homer in the bottom of the 13th. And I repeat, if I were a Rays fan, I would be furious today. Yes. But I'm, I'm going to say this again. Let's say Hunter Renfro had never touched that ball and it had bounced over the fence. The same rule would have been in place. Rianni Diaz would have to stop at third, whether you like it or not. That's the spirit of the automatic double. Ball bounces over a fence. It's two bases. Those are the rules, no matter what. Oh, boy. Just absolutely heartbreaking. And Christian Vasquez walks it off. Uh, how about Nick Pavetta? This is like his Nathan Evaldi moment. Four innings, 67 pitches, scoreless. Uh, I texted Alex Core after the game last night saying how cool it is that you see a player's passion uh, you know, meet his talent all in one moment on the big stage. You know, Nick Pavetta was someone when he was with the Phillies, I'd ask Phillies people about him and they'd talk about, boy, he just gets way too worked up on the mound. He loses his temper on the mound. He has a hard time controlling that. It's like seeing someone just put everything together all at the right time for the Red Sox, Tim. 
Right. And we, we talked about it as soon as Pavetta came into the game last night. We said, well, who knows? This might go 16, 18, and he's going to be Nathan Navaldi. And he was even better because he got the win. And the way he dropped that curveball in a couple times and the emotion he showed, these are the kind of things that you remember. They weren't sure who was even going to pitch in extra innings. Pavetta might have had to have started a game in this series, you know, three or four and four or five. And in Instead, he saved them with a tremendous relief appearance. And that's the stuff that we heard all these years in Philly and in Boston. When it's right, it's pretty darn good. And it was great at the most important time last night. Luis Patino gives up the game-winning home run. I got to say, watching him work to the first hitter in the bottom of the 13th, it was one of the few times in this Rays' great run in recent years when I thought, oh, that's a young player who is feeling a little anxious in the moment. What would you think? Yeah, well, how could he not be feeling anxious in the moment? And how can it not be that you can start this many young pitchers, this many inexperienced yeah. pitchers, and eventually at some point it's going to come back and get you in the biggest spots? And who knows? They'll probably win the next two games because they're the Rays and they're so, so good. But, yeah, young pitchers pitching in Fenway in the biggest spot of their life. I don't care how much and how great the system works with the Rays. And no system works better than the Rays system. But this is Fenway in a playoff game with that many people screaming. Eventually, a young guy is going to go, whoa, this is a lot to deal with. They expended a lot of oxygen as that game played out and went into extra innings last night trying to guess who the starting pitchers were going to be for game four, uh, in particular for the Red Sox team. And I was just thinking, it doesn't really matter. Because <laughs> it feels like, you know, and Eduardo Rodriguez is going to start for the Red Sox, apparently tonight uh, for the Rays, it's undecided. Because I, I think it's pretty clear, given the state of the pitching staffs, which both pitching staffs are in complete shambles as of today, uh, both managers will be doing a lot of matchups today. Right. And Buster, the old cliche momentum is your next day's starting pitcher. It just doesn't exist anymore no. in big leagues, period, but especially with the Rays, because it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't matter who they start. They're going to find the right person to start, the right guy to pitch the third, fifth, seventh, ninth, whatever. And they just have to hope it works out. It just hasn't worked out the last couple games. They've given up 35 hits in two days and the Red Sox look like a really good offensive team again. So that's why this game is so fascinating. The Rays make it even more interesting. And then the postseason makes it even more interesting than that. Alex Cora told reporters over the weekend that he's been getting text messages from Bill Belichick, the, the Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame coach, coach of the uh, New England Patriots. And he talked about how meaningful that is for him. Belichick was on WEI this morning talking about Alex Cora. Give a listen. We've been friends for a while and really respect what he does and, and uh, you know, what, what he's brought to the, to the Sox. So I've enjoyed our relationship and looks like he's doing fine got a good team and they played well and you know got got a big one tonight I uh, have laughed now Tim when I text Alex because I'll you know I text him from time to time as I do uh you know Aaron Boone and other managers they you know they have a tough moment um and he always has the same response in situations like this uh I texted him about how it's going to be a you know the, everyone's going to be throwing the kitchen sink with pitching today and his response was we'll be fine which is right. part 
being that that so much of that I think reflects Alex's personality that he's pretty convinced he's going to find a way. Yeah, and they they have found a way, Buster. I mean, we we need to examine this entire Red Sox season. They got swept the first three games by the Orioles, and people in Boston had already given up after three games. And Alex said, trust us, we know what we're doing here. There were several other spots this year where you said, all right, the Red Sox are in big trouble. They're not even going to make the playoffs. And then they did. And then they were in trouble in the playoffs, and they found a way. This is the Alex Cora calming influence and they look at that guy and he says we're going to win this game five runs in the first against chris sale and he says we're going to win this game and then they did that's what alex cora does for that team they look at him and they trust him and they believe in him and i actually i think the mindset of the red sox was reflected in something that happened in the third and fourth innings yesterday in the third inning ground ball to kyle schwarber who's playing a position he barely knows at first base and he tries to underhand a throw to the pitcher covering and throws it way over his head. And then the next inning, Tim, he gets the same play, completes the play, and then he raises his hands over his head like he's a championship boxer. Uh, and the crowd roars. Crowd at Fenway loved it. It was Kyle Schwarber making fun of himself. And in that moment, I thought, boy, these guys are loose right now. Like, if that's, if that's how they're feeling based on that play – that's a perfect mindset for the postseason where they're not in their own heads. I totally agree. And then he tipped his cap to the fans after making a six-foot shovel to the pitcher covering first. And as he said after the game, he said, sometimes you just gotta you just gotta laugh at yourself sometimes. Buster, this is the healthiest thing. I tell people all the time. This is the hardest game in the world to play. I will go to my grave with that. Sometimes you just have to acknowledge the game beat me today or beat me on that play. And that ridiculous underhanded throw over the pitcher's head was, was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. But instead of him panicking and saying, I have no business being over here, he recognized, all right, this is a Fun moment that I have to turn into a positive, and then he did. That is a loose team buster. If they weren't this loose, they would they would not have made the playoffs, and they would have already lost the Rays series. It would be over by now if not for the way the Red Sox go about things and the Kyle Schwarbers and the Alex Coras make sure that's the way they go about it. And Alex told me down the stretch that since Kyle Schwarber's joined the Red Sox, he it's like he's been there forever. He just fits in with his personality uh, just perfectly. So the Red Sox go into today with a chance to wrap up that series. The White Sox uh, were on the verge of elimination yesterday, but they survived. They win game three. They put up a lot of runs. A big moment in this game is Manny Grandal's play, where there's a throw from Yuli Gurriel to, uh, toward home plate, and Grandal... Uh, is hit by the throw. It bounces away. Astros are going crazy. After the game, Grandall said it wasn't on purpose. Are you buying that, Tim? I am buying that that was he did not do that intentionally. It takes no, no. I'm telling you, I watched it 50 times. I think I think he just ran to first. Now, we understand mm -hmm. the rule, Buster, that that first 45 feet, the, the batter runner has no restrictions. He can run almost wherever he wants. 
it is up to the first baseman in that situation to take a step to his right and avoid that runner and throw the ball home for the first 45 feet. Buster, you're giving our players today way too much credit, okay? That is a really, really smart play for him to say, I'm going to run inside the line here because I'm a catcher, and I know he's now got to throw around me to get to the catcher. I think – I think that would have happened 30 years ago when we would have said he did that on purpose. I saw Cal Ripken do something like that a dozen times, a dozen times in the year I, years I covered him. But I don't think Yasmani Grandal did it on purpose. The, you are taught, Buster, to run up the first baseline in that situation at that angle. In that spot, you're taught to do that. But I don't think our guys listen to the teaching. So as as ridiculous as it may seem, Grandal was completely in his right to run where he did for the first 45 feet up that line. I just don't think he did it on purpose. And did he try to get out of the way? Of course not. So I'll give him credit for that. You don't have to get out of the way in that spot. Wait, you said he didn't do it on purpose, but then you just basically indicated that you feel like he did it on purpose to not get out of the way. Well, I'm saying maybe he knew the rule well enough to know I don't have to move. If he hits me in the chest, I'm. it's not my fault. Now, the interesting part is if he if they had done it intentionally, the run, runner is out coming home and the runner is out going to first. So that's a double play. So you better be really careful to make sure you're not doing that intentionally. I just think he said – I don't think he ran out of the box saying, I'm going to run up this line and get hit on purpose, and then I'm going to be safe and the runner's going to score. I don't think he thought that. But I also think he was smart enough to say, I don't have to move if the ball comes right at me, which is essentially what happened. Which means that he got hit on purpose, okay? It means he got in the way. It's semantics, Buster. It seems like I need you to jump in here and be the tiebreaker because I'm like, that is a savvy veteran play. Uh, He he begins his run out in the field of play, and then he sees the throw coming, and as Tim said, he realizes, I don't have to get out of the way, and he gets hit by the ball. And it was on purpose. What do you say you, Stanton? Buster, I'm just a fill-in producer, so I can definitely disagree with you. I'm with Tim on this one. I don't think his intentions when he hit the ball were, oh, let me try to interfere with this. I can run wherever I want. But once he realized where he was and he saw the throw, he said, I don't have to get out of the way. I'm with But Tim. you're making the same mistake that Tim did. The fact that he knew he didn't have to get out of the way but, means but, he did it on purpose. No, but Buster, the, the, the previous 15 feet of him running weren't on purpose to get in the way of the ball. But once the ball is thrown, he made the realization, oh, I don't have to move. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to Sarah Langs and find out how many <laughs> base runners take that particular path to first base to have get some stat cast information. And it's also possible, Tim, that I just have World Series PTSD because, as I've talked about in the past, I grew up a Dodger fan. This is what happened in the 1978 World Series. Dodgers with a lead over the Yankees and stupid Reggie Jackson stuck his hip in the way of a throw to first base. Give a listen. Munson at second for the Yankees. Reggie Jackson at first. He's had an RBI in every game in this series. Four games, six RBIs. Drill, right at Russell, dropped the ball. Are they going to get two? No, he threw it away. Can it hit Reggie? Hit Reggie. Confusion on the bases. Here comes Munson. He's going to score for the second run. There's a lot of confusion. The ball hit Russell's glove. It then hit the ground. Reggie Jackson was forced out. 
But then on a throw, that was the second out of the inning. On the throw to first base, they're seeing the ball hit Reggie. It is a complicated play because Reggie is out, out of the play, and yet the ball might have hit him, scooted away, allowing Munson to score. So that's probably, Tim, why I feel that way. Yes? Buster, you're still bitter 43 years later. Reggie Jackson intentionally threw his hip in the way of a pitch, a way of a thrown ball way more than Yasmani Grandal did. So I'm going to tell you one more time. It was a savvy move by Grandal not to get out of the way of that ball. I'm just saying the first 45 feet, he wasn't thinking, great, I'm going to get hit by this throw and everyone's going to be safe. All right. Uh, You will be working ESPN Radio today, Brewers and Braves down in Atlanta. Uh, Where do you see that series? Well, I think the Braves are now in better shape because they're at home. And, and I think the Brewers have some significant offensive issues here. You know, Buster, the, the Brewers didn't have a 90 RBI guy the entire season. This is not a good offensive team. The only way they beat you, and they'll tell you this, is to overpower you with that great starting pitching and then go to Devin Williams, not available, and Josh Hader in the ninth inning. So they're a weakened team without Williams, but their starting pitching is the only way. They've scored two runs in two games here and they are not a good offensive team. Ian Anderson has been pretty good lately. I expect him to win today, but Freddie Peralta has been great. Buster, they have three starting pitchers who have a whip under one. No team has ever had three starting pitchers make 25 or more starts in a year, and all three have a whip under one. So they need Freddie Peralta to be great today in order to get the lead back here. Otherwise, the Braves, with much more thump in their lineup, I think take a very small advantage in this league. But keep in mind, these teams have scored a total of six runs in two games, and they're one for 18 with runners in scoring position. Look for another low-scoring game today. Tim, the Brewers remind me of an NFL team that runs the ball really, really well. But if somehow they got that NFL team got into a situation where they got down by two touchdowns, they would be in major trouble because they might just don't have the offensive firepower to respond. Is that an apt comparison? Yes, and that's how I see it. I mean, they've scored, like I said, two runs. It came on one swing of the bat from Rowdy Telez, and there, so many other times they've had some people on base and just couldn't get them in. And let's be fair, all right, Charlie Morton for five innings in game one was unhittable. It's the best I've ever seen him throw. And Max Fried in game two was tremendous for six innings. I still can't believe they took him out after 81 pitches. But this is where the Braves are different than the Braves team of last year. They have better starting pitching. Freed, Morton, and today, Ian Anderson. That's why you can't discount the Braves because their starting pitching is good and they hit 239 homers. I constantly get text messages from my son, the Braves fan, about the back end of the Braves bullpen uh, and the panic that it creates within him. Are they in a better spot now with their late inning relief or does it still feel really tentative? I think it's tentative. Now, Will Smith has had a very good year and yet one of the most (laughs) one of the one a very difficult year at the same time. So, Buster, try to follow me here. Since 1969, only four times has a relief pitcher faced six batters in an inning, walked three of them, 
and struck out three. So he walks the bases loaded and strikes out the other three. It's only happened four times since 1969, and twice it has happened to Will Smith, including once this year. That's who he is in the ninth inning. You have to expect there's going to be some runners on base, but usually he gets out of it. I'm not as sure about the seventh and eighth inning. Luke Jackson's been great. Tyler Matzik's been great. But I think there's a little bit of hesitation with can the Braves hold the lead until Will Smith comes and does his high wire act. I'm not sure about the back end of the bullpen, but it's done a pretty good job up till now. We'll see if they can continue it in the playoffs. It seems inevitable. We're going to be talking a lot about Dodgers and Giants later in the week. Game three today, we've got Alex Wood of the Giants pitching against Max Scherzer. Tell me what you see in that series. Well, I see a decided advantage for the Dodgers in the starting pitching matchup because I expect Max Scherzer to be great as opposed to 94 pitches in four and a third innings and take him out of the game as he did in his first postseason start in the wild card game but to underestimate the giants at any point is a massive mistake with the way they played this year buster they won 108 games and we're still at can they beat the dodgers i was talking to a couple of their scouts yesterday they said we won 107 games and people still treated us like we finished in second place we didn't so i like the dodgers today in that matchup But the other thing, Buster, the whole Max Muncy thing, anyone who underestimates his value to the lineup has not been watching this entire season. So we keep saying, oh, they have depth. They do. Matt Beatty, Cody Bellinger, Albert Pujols. But missing Max Muncy is going to hurt them. I think it already has. We'll see how much it hurts them moving forward. All right, Tim. Thanks for doing this. Have fun with your broadcast today. Okay, Buster. Thank you. Talk to you soon. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. I mentioned that infamous call in the 1978 World Series that went against my Dodgers when I was 14 years old. Well, when that play happened, Tommy Lasorda, the Dodgers manager, ran out and was screaming at the umpires. He was out of his mind. Give a listen.
Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, let's check out some Bleacher Tweets. Up first, Corbin at Corbonzo Beans. If Kiermaier's hit counts as a ground rule double, what prevents a player from, air quotes here, inadvertently juggling a baseball over the fence to purposely cause a ground rule double? And do you think there will be a rule change in the coming seasons to address this situation? Corbin, there's no doubt that they'll take a look at it. But Stanzik, I don't know if you agree with what I was saying to Tim. Like, this doesn't happen very often. It's not like this play is going to happen all the time. And the idea that some player could sort of fabricate a play like, I'm just not buying it. Yeah, I think it was a unique case, too, because it was Fenway Park. It's that short fence in right field. Right. Like, I don't think this happens in any other park in baseball. You would know better than I, Buster, how many short fences there are like that. I think Boston might be the only one. Yeah, you're 100% right. That's a you know great point by you. Friend of the podcast, PK Steinberg at PK Steinberg tweets in, did Urias have one of the most quiet 20 game seasons for a pitcher in history? And yes. he actually, PK Steinberg, big fan of the podcast. He did give a good reverend to Taylor. Oh, no. I know. I, you know, I, know, PK, I, I, maybe I, I might not answer the question. You talked to a good reverend, Taylor Schwink. The question is how many drinks did he have before the ceremony, before he calmed down? Uh, PK, you're right. It was a 20 game, uh, a quiet 20 game win, se- 20 win season for Arias because no one cares about wins anymore. Like uh, through the use of analytics, it feels like that no one pays attention to how many wins starting pitchers get. All right. From that at Pack Surf Rider, Buster, say you're taking a team to a weekend tournament for all the marbles. Would you rather have Otani, Trout, Soto, Vlad Jr., or playoff Randy or Rosarena? I'm taking Otani, Trout, Soto, and Vlad Jr. Is that a trick question? I know Rosa Reina's great, but those guys, are you kidding? That's well done by you, Buster. If you had to pick one, it's Vlad Jr. I'm a Blue Jay fan. Uh, last one here, Andrew at Real Camp Drew says, Hey, Buster, if another Buster we all know helps the San Francisco Giants franchise to a fourth World Series title, does that finally make him a lock for the Hall of Fame? Yeah, Buster Posey is the only adult Buster that I've ever spoken with in my lifetime. I've met many, many dogs and cats named Buster, but Buster Posey is the only adult. Uh, I already think he's a lock for the Hall of Fame, mostly because his name is Buster. Did you ever watch Arrested Development, Buster? Do you know Buster Bluth? I'm sure this has come up in, in the last 18 years or whenever that show debuted. No, I've never seen that show. I'd never watched Arrested Development. Uh, and then, of course, what was the kid show that had the rabbit named Buster? Yeah, Buster Baxter. You remember that show, right? No. Should I? Wait. So I think we we learned something about, like, I know Buster Baxter, okay, on the show Arthur. And on the other hand, I've never seen Arrested Development. It probably makes you crazy. Yeah, I think our age difference is showing here, Buster. I don't know. <laughs> and that was about the time my kids were little kids, right? So I was going to know who Buster Baxter was. That's uh, That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And of course, uh, as you're watching the games today, keep your Bleacher Tweets coming in. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets. And uh, there's a chance later this week, the Reverend will be back and reading those tweets on the air. Oh, my goodness. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim Kirchin, Dan Stanzik, Nick Pavetta, Christian Vasquez, and whoever wrote that rule that was in play last night, because it certainly gave us a lot to talk about today. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast.